0: Sometimes, circumstances leave you no choice but to do something appalling. It's not my fault, you'll cry. And it's not. It's not. But still, it will haunt you forever. Welcome to CreepyCast. The hapless surgeon who will always remember you as a learning experience. You're the reason she drinks. My name is Padre author of The Call and The Invasion. Dark books for these dark times. But hidden in each is a sequence of words that, if uttered in the right order, will make you a better lover. I'm sure you need no such help. But why not buy a copy for your other half? Or make them twice as good by buying them two copies. Today's story, Twig, was my first ever professional sale, and as such, it's old enough to trip over its own sagging skin. Is it well written, Pather? You'll ask. Not so much. What about the characters then, or, oh, oh, the world building? No. I'm afraid not. However, I make this promise to you, my dear listeners. While none of the stories I read here on Creepy Cast are perfect, I love every one of them for something more than mere nostalgia. And when the day comes, as it will in a few months, that I have no more decent tales to offer, I will start on a completely new project. Anyway, Twig is still one of my favourite things I have ever written. If you make it to the end, I hope you'll see why. Twig. Bouclean never could keep up in the games. There we'd all be, charging down the hill into the Vulch heavy cavalry, when suddenly I would hear, Armin! Armin! I'm stuck. His tunics were always cast-offs, you see, and too big for him. And when Foreman's gang, sorry, I mean the Volch cavalry, when they fought with us, invariably he would panic and catch himself in the branches. The boys gave him a good hiding too whenever they got him. Many times I had to pick him carefully out of the thorns. If his clothing were ripped, he would get a beating at home that would make the one inflicted by Foreman's gang look like the wake-up kiss I got from our mother. How come, Bouclean used to ask between sobs, how come she don't make the servants hit you, Armin? It hurt when he said that because, you see, I knew the answer and I didn't want to think about it late at night, with his little face snoring beside me. I wasn't able to keep it out of my head. Sometimes I couldn't stand to be there with him and I would sneak out of the room to bed down on the rushes of the Great Hall with the dogs. I was 18 when we went on campaign against the real vultures. Our father, the king, had not wanted to allow Buklin to serve with the royal guard. He's no soldier, damn you, Armin! Father's armour was gilded with stylized skulls and ravens. He paced up and down his battle pavilion while we discussed Buklin as if he weren't there. My brother had not grown much taller in the last four years although he had worked harder at his weapons training than me and the other boys. He could never beat any of us, of course. Once he had had the temerity to land a blow on foreman. By the lady breed, how I had cheered. Of course, it was only one blow, and what happened afterwards was far from pretty. He's smart, father, I insisted. He tries hard. He could run our messages for us. He could do that much. I don't want to be a messenger, Buklein protested. I'm a warrior. I want to. He flew backwards across the room and lay there in a heap, stunned, but hardly surprised. The king always did have a powerful backhand blow. Very well, then, said our father. Your brother. He never used the words my son, or Buchlin, and definitely not the prince. Your brother shall be a messenger. See that he takes off that armour. But I threw Buchlin a warning glance, and he shut up right away. Father had two excellent reasons for keeping my brother out of the battle. For one thing, He might be needed should my personal bodyguard fail to keep me alive during the fighting. For another, if by a miracle he were to survive a real skirmish and to draw blood, well, by law, he would be a man and entitled to marry, and that, above all else, must never be allowed to happen. It was the one thought that gave the king of our strife-ridden kingdom nightmares. Buklin and I had not been our mother's only babes. A pair of daughters had been born between the two of us. They were torn away from the Queen's breast by guards. I'm told she wept, but was too weak to fight. The girls were strangled before the assembled court so that none could ever use their birth as an excuse for rebellion. Such should also have been my brother's fate. But I was sick at the time with a fever and the king was told I would die. So Buklin survived. Not legally. He was never named in public by our father. Buklin, in the language of the wet nurse who raised him, means simply boy-child. I loved him, my brother, Buklin, Or twig, as I called him. I loved him. And by law, when father finally succumbed to age or battle, I would have to kill him. So, that day, as I pleaded for him to be allowed to fight, I think part of me was hoping he would die there. Honorably, of course, at the hands of a vulture upon whom I could avenge myself. But he had to die, poor Twig, for I was certain that I would never have the courage to kill him myself. The muster horns sounded loud over the hill where we had camped. The morning air chilled our bones, and a damp mist clung about the tents. Serfs in boiled leather trudged in grim lines towards the regiments of their owners fear written all over their simple faces. I smiled to myself, but this was not courage. I simply did not believe in my heart that this day the games were for real, that I would see my friends hacked to pieces around me, that I would charge into an army of men who would be rewarded beyond their wildest dreams if only they could leave the field of battle with my head. I found myself surrounded by my honour guard. Their horses were painted in designs familiar to me since childhood. Swirls for the men of the East. Blue lightnings for my mother's family. Black ravens for ours. Even without the designs, I would have recognised these men anywhere in any guise. Many had been my teachers in arms. Others, lifelong companions. I knew the way each of them moved better than I knew their faces. Foreman, who tormented my brother, was there. I hated him, of course, but he was the most skillful fighter of us all. He nudged his horse alongside mine. Was it you, Prince Armin? he said, gave permission for a woman to fight among us? I was confused. He pointed away to the right where Bouclean's horse was emerging from the mist. The men all laughed, and I had to fight to control my anger. Yes, I said, I gave you such permission, Lady Foreman, for I knew your shrieks would terrify the enemy. The bully was forced to laugh at my insult, for if he took offence, he would be obliged to challenge me, and father would have had him killed for it. Bouclean did not come over to join us. Instead, his horse moved in parallel with ours towards the line of battle. How strange it must have been for him, finding himself so far from home. He was never allowed out of the castle without an escort. Father wanted to keep him close until the time came for him to die or, in the event of an accident, to take my place. The sun was beginning to rise, burning off the mist. There were foot soldiers everywhere around us now. They moved out of our way, some of them saluting, some glaring resentfully, as is the way of cowardly peasants everywhere. I blessed all of them regardless and this seemed to win me some friends among them. The numbers underfoot began to rise, and our progress towards the front was slowed considerably. We were obliged to keep our lances pointed upwards at all times. I lost sight of Bouclean in the press. Crowds used to frighten him when we were younger. Almost everything did. He couldn't bear to be separated from me. His long sleeves, his lack of name and formal protection made him an easy target. At times, he was three years younger, remember, I had to chase him away so that I could play properly with my peers. Once, I even threw stones at him. In the end, he used to follow me anyway, but at a distance. It became a comfort for me to hear him, trying to clump along silently behind me in his over-large boots, his clothing catching on every splinter. As we grew older, our friendship became more complicated. We spoke more deeply, but spent more time apart. He passed hours alone in the library reading, breed knows what, He hired an old mercenary to give him extra lessons in combat. Many a time, returning from a banquet, I would meet him staggering into his quarters after a training session, covered in sweat and bruises. We would have wine together then, and I would talk about the ladies of the court, the latest entertainers. Why don't you come along, brother? There's a new juggler down there that... I can't, Armin. He always said, I need to train. It was just an excuse, of course, for although he improved somewhat, none of my peers ever lost more than a round to him and that was down to their own stupidity or a bad hangover. As for the banquets, while Buchling loved for me to speak of the ladies who attended them, we both knew that if ever there were even a rumour that he had been alone with one of them, it would have meant her death. The king would never risk a grandson through my brother. After some time, my party reached the centre of the line where my father had set up a command post. In the distance, no more than a mile away, the vultures were also marshalling their forces beside a small wood of birch trees. It was not a particularly large army compared to ours. But fewer of their troops were serfs, and more were horsed. The Vulches prided themselves on having the greatest civilization in the world. Maybe it was true, but we knew such wealth that they had had been built on the theft of lands that were not theirs. The gold leaf that bedecked their temples had been mined by three separate races of people, once famous for their learning. Now, all extinct. The Volch had tried to steal our lands too. For a 150 years they had tried to take it. Sometimes, like today, when their northern frontiers were at peace, they sent armies to harry us. More usually, however, their preferred method was to foment civil war in our country usually by supporting a pretender to the throne that might become their puppet. They had last tried this, 22 years earlier, and had so very nearly succeeded. Nowadays, as their empire grew ever stronger, my father rightly believed that any form of civil strife whatsoever would weaken us to the point where the vultures might take us inside a month. More horns sounded. Our own troops were ready now. I dismounted and walked over towards the king. Old Cronin says the army is a small one for them, father. Have they units in the trees below, do you think? The scouts say not. He seemed relaxed. They may have another army coming in through the western passes, but if they do... They'll have to lay siege to Castle Oir, and that'll give us all the time we need to get back after we win here. We both grinned at that. We had the same grin, not like Buchling. The Volch camp followers began to light fires behind their army. Trails of dark smoke rose into the sky, billows of it rising at what almost seems like deliberate intervals. Never seen that before, said father's old priest, Olin. Magic, he wondered. Ours is better if it is. And then my father gave a sign. Horns sounded three times, long blasts. My gelding knew the signal. We sprang forward together, but then I pulled him back sharply. There would be no charging from this distance. The armies began to close the gap between themselves. Ours to the sound of drums, theirs to the wailing of pipes. I began to distinguish individuals from the mass of enemies. Men like ourselves on horseback, their mounts painted with strange designs. Eyes, hands and teeth. Flowers, the hair of a maiden. Another signal the sky filled with thunderclouds as the priests on either side prepared to strike at each other with bolts of lightning arrows began to rise into the air behind us and suddenly we were off chasing after them let me be an arrow lady breed i prayed the blood of my enemies i spill for you this day we sped forward lances lowered crashing into the volch cavalry my lance splintered on a shield My enemy's weapon, by a special favour of the goddess, missed me completely. Bodies collided around me. Men lost their seat, were trampled under hooves. Others were blasted by stray bolts from the priests. I threw away my useless lance and grabbed my mace. Get back, you idiot, somebody screamed at me. It was old Cronin. He drove his horse into mine, forcing me away from the action, allowing the rest of my bodyguard to get between me and the enemy. Soon, my friends had me surrounded, and they led me through the battle in a bubble of protection, frustrating my every effort to get involved. I saw everything, blood and pain. I saw Foreman kill again and again to keep me safe. And I was jealous, for he was now legally a man. I saw old Cronin pulled from his horse by enemy peasants. I wanted to ride to his aid. Breed knows how I wanted to, but the others would not let me. In armour such as ours, a knight is helpless once he loses his footing. I saw old Cronin lying on his back through a gap in the fighting. Somebody put a dagger through the isolate of his helm, and that was that, so simple and so quick. For the first time, imagining him lying there, his total helplessness, suddenly I was terrified. Not of the enemy knights, mounted like ourselves, who would swing and miss and curse, but of the teeming, efficient peasants who knew what it was to stick a pig on the eve of a festival. We rode about the field, pushed here and there by the tides of battle, never really sure what was going on, never knowing who was winning or losing. Eventually, we paused for breath by a small stream in the lee of a hill. There seemed to be nobody nearby, so we allowed our exhausted mounts to drink a little of the bloody water. The number of my guards was by now reduced by half. Not all of the missing ones had died. Some had been forced to retire honourably through the loss of a mount or because of wounds suffered. Others had simply been separated from us by the press of the fighting and might even now be looking to rejoin us. Poor old Cronin, eh? said Foreman. I told him that nag of his was no good. Nobody replied. There seemed to be nothing to say. I heard the sound of a deep horn blasting across the field. Volch signal! Somebody said excitedly. It's the retreat. That's the Volch retreat. We cheered. But then we heard the rapid rumble of a great many hoofbeats approaching. Around the hill came the remnants of the Volch cavalry. There were far too many for us to handle, and they were already moving at speed, whereas we were at a standstill and facing the wrong direction for retreat. Flee, Prince Armin shouted one of my uncles. Flee, we will make some time for you. I obeyed immediately, coward that I was. I ran for my life and left them there to die at my back. I kicked my horse without mercy and ran as far and as fast as I could, burning inside with shame, vowing to the lady breed that this would be the last time, that never again would I abandon a friend in danger as long as I lived. Oh, how lightly vows are made. The Lady Breed is listening, always listening, and never tarries in putting such rash promises to the test. I drew away from my brave bodyguards and came within sight of the birch woods. I was so disorientated, I did not know whether I was now to the north or the south of the battlefield. A bank of clouds had moved in to cover the sun but I estimated there was perhaps an hour of daylight left, maybe two. I moved in among the trees, thinking to wait there for darkness. But then I heard voices and the sound of hooves. A small group of men on horseback, no more than four, were skirting around the trees in front of me. Three of them were Vulches with drawn swords. The other, held prisoner among them, was my brother. He was bloody from a cut to his forehead, but otherwise unharmed. Desperately, he looked about himself for an escape. For a moment, his eyes met mine. His mouth opened, perhaps to shout, as he had done so often as a child, Armin! Armin! I'm stuck. But it seemed then he realised that this game was for real and if he called out he might get me captured as well if not killed. I wanted to run again. I had not done much fighting but I was still exhausted and although I had begun the day fierce and brave I had seen enough by now to fear battle. And yet I had made a vow. This was not just a friend in trouble. This was my best friend, my brother, Twig. The vultures would use him to support rebellion here. And there were only three of them. If I were quick, I could take one of them by surprise, leaving two. Bukling would distract one of those, surely, and, and I would kill the other. Yes, I would. And all the while, There was still that dirty part of me that thought it would be for the best if Bukleen died in the ensuing skirmish. The men took my brother down a path into the woods. I gave them a few minutes' lead thinking that it might be more difficult for them to make their numbers count in among the trees. Then I galloped after them. My gelding ran as fast as I could drive him. I rounded a bend in the path at top speed into a clearing. A hard blow to the chest threw me from the saddle so that I landed on my back, winded and helpless. I had broken some ribs. The weight of my armour pinned me to the ground. I heard the sound of laughter. Some horses moved off. Were they going to let me live? No, a shadow moved across me. I lost control of my bowels then, thinking of the terrifying peasants, thinking of the knife that was coming. Although helpless, I struggled to move. I had fallen on something springy and scratchy. Thorns poked up through the gaps in my armour at the back of my knees. I did not realise then that these same thorns were soon to save my life. The catch on my faceplate was released, and I saw my brother leaning over me. I told the Vulture's I would meet up with them later, he said, and I knew, suddenly, that the smallish army they had sent had only ever been intended as a distraction for his escape. The fires lit before the battle, Must have been a signal he had worked out earlier with one of their spies. A set of directions, maybe, to a rendezvous. Perhaps it had all been arranged in the library where he spent so much time. Or perhaps it was his mercenary arms tutor who passed along the messages. I saw that Buchlin had a knife in his left hand, which he held by the blade, cutting himself continually with it, as if in atonement for something. I saw you, Armin, in the woods. I knew you would follow. You wanted me dead like all the others. You needed me dead, as I need you dead now. But I knew you would follow. He looked away from me, wiping something from his eyes. When his head turned back again, I could see he had clenched his jaw and had taken the knife by its haft. As he hesitated there, we both heard the sound of approaching hooves. He stood quickly, pulling a large branch from the undergrowth. It must have been the same one the vultures had used to unhorse me. I tried to call out a warning to whoever was charging down the path, but although my breath was coming back, I could manage little more than a wheeze. A stallion galloped round the corner, painted in purple zigzags. Buklin swung the branch and knocked the rider from the saddle as easily as one might bat a fly out of the air. His victim somehow managed a better landing than I had, miraculously keeping his feet. He opened his helm. Foreman, growled Buklin. For once, said Foreman, I don't believe your brother will object if I teach you a lesson. You have a hammer, said my brother. Let me arm myself at least. He took my own weapon from where it lay in the thorns beside me, and Foreman laughed delightedly. My uncle must have sent him after me to keep me safe from such mishaps as this. Foreman would not have left that desperate rearguard fight without a direct order, for although bullies are said to be cowards, he was not. Now, facing my little brother, Foreman was certain of his own superiority. He did not see what I saw. He did not notice that the child he had tormented for so many years had lifted my mace in his left hand, the same one he had used earlier to carry the knife. I, his own brother, his best friend who had slept next to him for years, had always thought Buchling to be right-handed. I had always wondered how someone who had studied Warcraft so long and so hard could be so awkward at the haft of a sword. But now I knew. It was almost funny, left-handed. They circled each other for a few seconds. Foreman swung, and Buchlin moved faster than I've ever seen a human being move before or since. He dived under the bully's hammer, popped up behind him and smashed in the back of Foreman's skull. Buchlin came back towards me. I was trying desperately to sit up. The pain in my ribs was almost unbearable. My armour seemed heavier than it ever had before and the thorns kept a firm hold of my cloak, making it almost impossible to rise. Forgive me, big brother, he whispered as he knelt beside me. Maybe, maybe you would prefer to close your eyes? But I could not. His hand shook. He looked down at me the smell of my feces clogging the air between us, the thorns all around me poking through the gaps in my armour. He started to cry. You're stuck, brother, he said finally. He flung the knife into the bushes and began to pull the thorns away from me one by one, as I had done so often for him as a child. "'helped me move to a spot "'where I could place my back against a tree "'and wait for help. "'And then, "'without turning to look at me again, "'he mounted his horse "'and galloped away. "'Goodbye, Twig,' I whispered. "'I don't know where he went afterwards. "'Not to Volchnia, I'm sure,' Although I am now king, I cannot sleep thinking about it. I need to find him. I don't know what I will do then. Probably I will send assassins. Buklin would not hurt me or my kingdom. But his children? His children's children? So yes, I will send assassins for him and his family. Or maybe a messenger instead. To beg him to come home. To rule beside me or above me if that's what he wants. Yes. Sometimes I honestly believe I could send such a message. And mean it. the end so there we have it another episode I would like to thank the people who left me nice reviews, thank you very much you are absolutely wonderful people I would like to apologise as well this is an apology to all of you for the frog in my throat not much I can do about it for now but hopefully next time it'll have cleared away and you'll be listening once again to the Amazingly resonant, powerful voice of a born orator and leader of states and peoples and entire continents. Until then, thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.